it all came from a coach that I had early on kind of told me like, your training's not special. Everyone is doing what you're doing in the gym. That's Matt Frazier, five-time CrossFit Games champion and the fittest man on earth. Everyone's doing everything you're doing. You need to find the 1% gains elsewhere. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp Video, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with Matt Frazier to discuss what it takes to dominate your competition, the sacrifices required to become the best, and why short-term suffering leads to long-term glory. For me, when I was competing, it was like, no, if I want that freedom later on in my life, I need to do these shitty rowing intervals. I need to make it really, really hurt. It's not enjoyable. I don't like doing rowing intervals. I don't like doing heavy sets of back squats. There's nothing enjoyable about that. But the sense of pride and the freedom is going to provide down the road. That's what I'm after. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Matt Frazier is one of the most dominant athletes on the planet. He won the CrossFit Games five years in a row, setting record upon record, earning the title of the fittest man on earth. We began our conversation by diving into Matt's upbringing. Yeah, I guess gro growing up, I didn't realize like that my family was athletic in the way it was. You know, when, when you're that young, you just think that your family is normal. What you're doing in the house is what everyone else is doing. So like during commercial breaks, my parents would like push the coffee table to the side and we'd see who could do the longest handstand hold or, and then once everyone can do that, it's like, all right, you know, my dad always just had party tricks and he could walk up and down the stairs on his hands. And so then all the kids start trying it and just stuff like that. And always had a trampoline and with a stay at home dad, you know, he'd see us jumping, doing our thing. He's like, Hey, try backflip. Can you do a backflip with a spin? Can you do this? And then putting the trampoline next to the house and running up at like Spider-Man, doing a flip off. And then it was just always escalating up like that and skiing off the roof during the winter. Like it, it was just fun stuff like that, that I thought, oh, this is normal. And now that I'm older and I realize, oh, that's not normal at all. <laughs> so we fast forward a bit. I know you mentioned that later you got into Olympic weightlifting. This is after graduating high school. I think you were, you were training full time to be an Olympic weightlifter. But I want to talk about something I know you've talked about at length, but it's always been fascinating to me. It was the injury that you had and then coming back from that, but more importantly, a surgery that you could have had that really would have altered the course of history for you. Yeah. I think it was about 2008. I broke my L5 uh, in two spots on two separate occasions, like uh, about a week or two apart from each other. The classic doing a lift in training, routine lift, and then big, loud pop, and then everything just seized up. And, you know, a couple of days on my back trying to recover from that, get back to training. And this is maybe two weeks before the Junior World Championships. And uh, so I get back to training, you know, I'm rushing back, not giving it time to heal or get it checked out because I have a competition coming up and 
once again, another routine lift and big crack on the other side. And I was like, Oof, okay, this ain't good. Long story short, you know, I'm in a torso brace for about four months once they realize it's broken. Torso brace does nothing. And then uh, I'm going to spinal surgeons all over the Colorado area. And they're all telling me like fusion. Fusion's the only option. Your weightlifting career is done. Get used to it. And then I happened to cross paths with a surgeon out of uh, California who was saying, he's like, hey, I got an experimental surgery we can try. You know, I give it a 50-50 chance of working. I did it on a 13-year-old, guaranteed fix. I did it on a 24-year-old, guaranteed failure. You're right in the middle. So it might work. If it does work, you'll be able to return to competitive sports. You know, that that's all I needed to hear was, all right, give me a chance. And so... Went out to California, got the surgery, stayed out in a hotel room right down the road from the hospital for a week to kind of recover until I could sort of walk again. And then I moved to Michigan and made made a full recovery. It was about a year from surgery till I was back competing. But I mean, just uh, brutal. Like it wasn't even the physical pain. I can deal with that. That's easy, you know. But it was just the mental insecurity for probably about six months of every day of thinking, did the surgery work? Did it not work? Am I living this false hope or, and, and there's nothing I can do for it. Like there's no rehab protocol I can do for it. It's just a broken bone that I have to wait to see if it heals correctly. So that was tough. Like to say the least, just every day walking around with this, are my dreams alive? Are my dreams dead? But uh, yeah, everything healed up correctly, made a full recovery. It was about a year after coming back and competing that I competed. I hit new personal records, but that's I learned the valuable lesson of uh, resentment is a great motivator, but it is a hot burning fuel and you can only use it for so long. You know, that whole training cycle after my surgery and coming back, it was phenomenal. I was better than I'd ever been, but I was training for the wrong reasons. Before the surgery, you know, I was training because I was passionate about it because I loved it. And then after the surgery, I was training off just a big fuck you to everyone. Because after I broke my back, people heard about the surgery. They're like, oh, he's, he, his career's done. He's washed up. He's never coming back. You can't recover from something like that. And so it was just training with a, I'll show you, I'll show you. So it was great. But by the end of it, you know, by the last competition I competed in, I was just like, nope, I'm done. You know, I hit my last lift, walked off the platform. I hit a big milestone uh, in the weightlifting world. I hit a 300 kilo total and uh, I walked off the floor and my coach, big hug. And I was just like, hey, I think I'm done. And he was just like, yep, okay. And never looked back, you know. I feel like it's very common with a lot of athletes that – they say, this is my last game. This is my last competition, whatever it is to give themselves that light at the end of the tunnel. And then, you know, two weeks later, they're at loose ends and they don't know what to do with themselves. And, and so then they end up starting to train again. They they're doing it because they love it, not because they have to. And for me, I was like, I never want that. I want to ride this bus till the wheels fall off. And so then the day I decided, all right, I'm done. That was it. And then I just walked away. 
And it has kind of the next step from that. I mean, at the time, I think you were you were double majoring in mechanical engineering and electrical engineering and minors and like math and business. What what got you into CrossFit? Because there's probably a lot of people listening to this podcast that don't even know what CrossFit is. Yeah. So when when I was training at the Olympic Education Center, it's in northern Michigan, Marquette, Michigan. It's usually the feeder system into the Olympic Training Center. So the Olympic Training Center, all you do is train. That's it. That's your only requirement. The Olympic Education Center, you're required to carry a full course load in school and train. And so, you know, I was there, but I knew I wanted to do mechanical engineering and that school didn't have it. They had engineering technician. So all I did was take math and physics, the stuff that I knew art when I transfer out of the school, it's going to transfer over to whatever school I end up at. And then right at the end of it, the funding for the Olympic Education Center got cut. Now, I have a talk with my parents and they're like, hey, you can either take out student loans or you can move back to Vermont and go to UVM because my mom worked at the university. And so I got tuition remission. So that was an easy, easy decision, like either go in debt or just move to a way better school that has the degree that I'm going after for free. So I did that. This is after I've already retired from weightlifting. So now I'm just focused on school. I did a double major. I did mechanical engineering, and then I did a management degree, a minor in math and a minor in business, and had no intentions of doing anything weightlifting oriented or athletic, anything. It was just like, nope, I'm focused on school now. And I'm probably four or five years behind all my peers because I put life on hold for my weightlifting career. So I'm a little bit older than everyone in class. I don't have the same interests as anyone. So it was just lonely. I didn't feel like I fit in. I just worked my ass off in school. I think all it was, was I just kind of gained the freshman 15. I was not happy with where I was in life. So, you know, just eating for pleasure, as dumb as that sounds. But I just started gaining weight. You know, I went from working out twice a day for years to nothing. And so not only was I, I didn't have the physique I used to have, but I didn't have the direction or the drive or the outlet. So I just figured, okay, I need to start doing something physical. And so I just looked up CrossFit near me. And in I lived in Colchester, Vermont, and there was one in Williston. And so for Olympic weightlifters, you know that CrossFits have the equipment you need to try to find an Olympic weightlifting gym in the U.S. There's a dozen in the country, but a CrossFit gym, they're on every every corner. And so I just walked in and I was like, hey, like, can I use your barbells and plates? You know, like uh, I have no interest in doing CrossFit. I just want to work out. I'll stay in the back corner. I won't interrupt anyone. And they're like, yeah, yeah, have at it. Do Do whatever you want. And so I just was going into the CrossFit gym just to do Olympic weightlifting. And one of the girls that trained, she was a competitor. She was always like trying to coerce me into doing CrossFit workouts. And so, you know, it started out with a CrossFit workout that would, that was just Olympic weightlifting. It was like 30 reps for time. And I would do it. And I'm like, is that good? Is that bad? Like, how does my score chalk up? And the owner of the gym, I think saw the potential in me and he signed me up for my first competition so I did it. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to do. I'm having to ask him to coach me through everything. And I ended up winning the competition and I made a couple hundred bucks. Like the prize was a couple hundred cash. And I just went, oh, 
for a full-time college student, a couple hundred bucks goes a long way. And so I was like, hey, are there more competitions like this? Like, is this a normal thing? And they're like, yeah, you can hit one every weekend if you want. And I was like, all right, instead of getting a part-time job or something to have some walking around money, I'll just compete in CrossFit. And yeah, so it just started kind of going around the local circuit. And I looked at it like a part-time job. I looked at it as like, all right, if I can pick up a couple hundred here, a couple grand there, like for a broke college student, when, you, when you're eating ramen noodles and you want to go to a movie once a week, a couple hundred bucks does the trick. <laughs> and then again, for people listening, like it's interesting because before, so I, I also do CrossFit, but before I did it, if people have different, they have preconceptions about what CrossFit is. Like, how would you explain this to someone who's just, who's never done it and never, never really heard of it. Maybe they've heard of it and they feel like there's a cult over there. There's like this obsession, but like, like what, what is it really? So basically showing up to a CrossFit competition, it's being prepared for any physical activity weightlifting, gymnastics movements like pull-ups or ring muscle-ups, um, handstand push-ups. So weightlifting, gymnastics, running, swimming, biking, odd object like strongman events, powerlifting events, Olympic weightlifting, basically anything physical. The way I always kind of break it down is I could walk into any powerlifting gym and find someone that can out-squat me. I can show up to any college track meet and find someone that can outrun me in the mile. So, you know, I'm not trying to squat 600 pounds and I'm not trying to run a four minute mile. I'm trying to squat 500 pounds and run a five minute mile. And then if you can check off both those boxes, all right, now who can do 30 unbroken muscle ups? Who can swim a 500 meter under a certain time limit, you know? So it's basically just trying to be good at everything and not really excellent at any one specific thing. I'm just trying to be even keel across the board that no matter what you throw at me, I'm going to get through it. We've had events where it's like a one rep max uh, squat clean. And you can show up to any probably high level national event or like you go to the world championships and our clean doesn't really chalk up to what they're doing. But now ask, find one of those guys that can even break an eight minute mile. And so it's like, you know, I, I did a squat clean at 380 pounds, but then I'm also running like a five minute mile. So you're trying to find the combination of these two things. So, you know, it's just a constant game. There's endless combinations of movements or time domains, and it's just trying to perfect all of them. <laughs> so at what point do you essentially decide to go all in on CrossFit, right? To say like, you're not going to go down the route of, of engineering, you're going to go all in. So I competed my first, I'd say two years at the CrossFit game. So at the world championships of CrossFit while I was still a full-time student. And then I graduated. And after I've been to the world championships twice, I've been on the podium twice. I have enough support um, from sponsors and, you know, just from prize money at competitions that I was like, okay, I can do all right. Like, you know, just from the support from sponsors. I know I'm not thriving. I'm not going out and making retirement type money, but I can get by. And I think I, I was just like, you know, the, the desk job will always be there. You know, if I want to take a year or two gap between college and work, roll the dice on myself and kind of see what I'm capable of, see if I can make something of this. All right, I'm good. But then, you know, it was just like I graduated college and the job fair was at school and professors were kind of like, hey, like, you know, what ones are you interested in? Do you want letters of recommendation, anything like that? And I was like, I don't think I'm going to go. And they, the obvious concern look of someone that knows like, hey, 
you did great in school. This is what you did it for to get a good job. And then just seeing, seeing me be like, nah, I think I'm good. I think I'm going to roll the dice over here. I, I think that was the moment that I was like, okay, I'm going to give this one honest shot because after the 2015 season, I came second place for the second time, huge disappointment. The whole year I was, I was in school. I was trying to have a social life. I was, you know, juggling all these other things and I wasn't dedicating everything to the sport. I was like, all right, I want to do one year where there's no what ifs. I want to do one year where it's like, oh, what if I wasn't distracted by a girlfriend? One year, where, what if I had a better sleep schedule, better diet, better training regimen, all this stuff? I told myself, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do one year of not a single sacrifice and see what the results are. And in the grand scheme, like a year flies by. Like a year is such a tiny little sliver that I was like, okay, I'm going to do everything. So th there were some moments of that year that were super disappointing, you know, having to miss out on life events, you know, like my buddy's getting married and I can't go to his bachelor party or li little things like that, you know, or just not having a girlfriend, being alone. But I was like, all right, after this year, if I didn't like the results, if I don't get the results I want, if the whole process was just miserable, well, I'll go back. I'll go back to those other things. But I won, you know, after a year of that dedication, I won the world championships. I won by the largest margin of victory ever in that competition. And I was like, oh, that was all worth it. It was great. And so then after that, it was finding more places that I can get a little bit better and dead, getting more dedicated to it. And then, you know, I just kept building off that. And then at some point it was like, oh, I'm, I'm never going to be an engineer. This is it. <laughs> this is way better than sitting behind a desk. So, you know, it just kind of built organically, you know, it's just like the opportunities just got a little bit bigger each time. So it wasn't like an overnight change. It was just piece by piece, but I think one big factor in all of it, you know, I, I've actually talked to a friend about this, you know, it's super, the super sexy things of, you know, burn all the ships and go all in, don't give yourself another option. I did the exact opposite. I set up my life so that there was as little risk as possible. I lived in my parents' basement for as long as possible so that I didn't have bills. You know, I drove an old, old beat up car that I bought for 300 bucks so that I didn't have a car payment so that I was able to afford to live this lifestyle with this huge, huge risk. But then there's no pressure. It's like, if I go to this competition and I fail, I'm not letting down my family. I'm not losing my house. I'm not losing my car. So I literally tried to live as close to zero expenses as possible so I could afford to take this risk and then you know it just kind of built up built up slowly from there and i was like oh, okay now i can afford to get a house now i can afford to get a, a reliable car and all these different things but yeah i think it's just so common to hear this going all in you know throwing risk to the wind and not caring it's like mm -mm, i didn't do that <laughs> It's always been interesting to me because, you know, you made your debut, like first cross begins in 2014, right? Finished second place and then second place in 2015. But how would you describe the difference between how you felt with each one? Because it seems like the 2015 one was the one that really pissed you off. Yeah. It's kind of funny, you know, exact same results, same competition, same placement, second place both times, but drastically different emotions tied to each medal. Uh, in 2014, 
It was my rookie year. I didn't know much about the sport. I wasn't dedicating much time to it. But the biggest thing was I had zero expectations going into it. So going in and getting second place, I'm doing backflips over. I can't believe how incredible this is. I'm I'm on cloud nine this whole time. And then first place guy is retiring. I'm in second place and I figure I'm a shoe in, you know, all I got to do is show up and, and I'm going to win it. And so, you know, the whole year was just cut corners, you know, bad diet, terrible sleep schedule, training inconsistently, not in a good mental headspace. And I show up and get the exact same results. And they just put me into a spiral. I left that competition not knowing if I ever wanted to do it again. I didn't even go into the gym for a couple months. Yeah, I didn't know if I wanted to ante up again and put my chips in for another try because then I was like, there's a real opportunity that I could dedicate years and years of my life to this and never succeed. Looking back now, I couldn't be more thankful for that second second place finish because it was the one that made me change my habits. If I had won in 2015 while eating terribly and not working hard and all these things, well, I would have continued those bad habits. I would have been rewarded for cutting corners and continue doing them. And then getting my ass kicked in 2015, it made me either shit or get off the pot, either dedicate yourself and give everything to this or go away. Thankfully, I decided, okay, like I'm going to do one year of dedication because after the 2015, the part that was eating me alive was I didn't think second place was what I was capable of, but I knew it's what I deserved because I left the competition thinking, what if my diet was better? What if I trained consistently? What if I was in a better, healthier relationship? All these what ifs. And so that that's where it came from for 2016 was like, I'm not going to have a single what if. I'm going to set up my situation so that I, if I show up in 2016, and get second place again, or if I get 10th place, there's no what ifs. It's what I deserve. And I hoped that was going to be enough to sleep well at night. You know, even if I don't win, the effort that I put in is going to be good enough for me to be proud of. And when you came into that third games in 2016, like you said, I mean, it was the, the, the largest margin of victory in the history of the games. And then the following year, you get first place again with an even larger margin of victory. And then the following year, you did even better. So like you're, you're getting better every single year. And I imagine that's starting to, you know, to dawn on people. But then 2019 comes around and this was, this was an interesting year, right? I remember you faced a, a bit of adversity and a questionable situation, right? But at the same time, it, it wasn't this huge margin of victory. You were almost coming from behind that entire their entire games yeah 2019 you know there's a couple different factors that played into it you know so that in 2019 they went with a format in the competition that it was just out of left field every year they're changing the rules they're changing the qualifying procedures they're changing the scoring it really puts you in a test of like okay who can accept the things that they cannot change it's all right you know what is the scoring system cool i'm trying not to argue i'm trying not to let it rent space in my head i'm not listening to rumors i wait until i hear the facts of what it is and then i put my attack plan together and so you know they announced the scoring system and they're doing cuts throughout the week of like after event four we're cutting down to the top 20 athletes after event five we're cutting down to the top 10 there's nothing i can do about it it's not an ideal. I don't, I don't think it worked well. I think it looked terrible. And I think it negatively affected 
the scoring in terms of like you could afford a bad a bad finish early on and then you hope that your strength showed up later in the week and but it was it was a great mental test of okay this isn't what you want this isn't ideal this doesn't work well for you but you don't have a choice deal with it so you know there's a combination of the scoring system i got hit with a pretty rough penalty early on that you know it stripped i think it was like 30 or 40 points and you know a, a winning event is 100 points so it was a pretty big hit but then once again, by the end of the weekend, I was thankful it all happened because the three years prior to that, when I've won, it was by a large, large margin of victory. And so people started thinking that, oh, he, he only competes well when he doesn't have any pressure. He doesn't do well under pressure. And I remember think, hearing people say these things and telling them, you know, just because you've never seen me compete under pressure doesn't mean I'm not good at it. Be better. Put me under pressure. And so then... It happened. I remember the specific event. I remember where I was standing. I remember everything about that. And I was down by 50 points. And I had a great opportunity to gain a large chunk of those points back. And all I heard was the criticisms. All I was hearing was the commentators, the other competitors saying that I don't do well under pressure. And I remember telling myself like, all right, good, good. They say you don't do well under pressure. Let's show them. Let's shut them up. You know, this is an opportunity that you haven't been put in before. Let's rise to the occasion. And it's a very freeing feeling having your back against the wall because you're already failing. You can't get worse. Just swing for the fences and try to connect and knock it over the fence. And uh, a moment like that was great because then it, it was an opportunity like this, the last weakness that people have seen in me. This is the one situation that I haven't been in. I get to prove it to everyone that, yo, I'm good at this too. Yeah. So, you know, it, that one worked out in some ways it was stressful. In some ways it was very freeing of there's no pressure on me. I'm in second place. All I can do is go up. So it was nice leaving that competition, knowing that like, okay, I don't have to be in the lead going into the final event. I don't have to be in the lead by a hundred points to, to win or perform. I can do that too. And what was the feeling like at that event? basically finishing in first place by the narrowest margin of victory, probably it's what, like 2010. It was a big relief, obviously, of like, okay, whew. because, you know, I've been training with this one goal of, you know, breaking the record for the amount of consecutive wins. And that competition, I felt like things were literally going against me, you know, like the penalty that I got, it was an equipment malfunction. There was like literally nothing I could have done. And I didn't find out until after the event was over that something went wrong. For the competition, I'm thinking like, man, if it's because of that error that it derails my entire career goal, like it doesn't feel good. You know, it's not like I, I worked my ass off and because this a sandbag fell out of my backpack and I didn't realize it. Well, now my career's over or like not my career's over, but that's what it feels like. It was incredibly stressful with that. And it was super disappointing to think that that could be a reality. But then at the same time, going out for the last event, it was a very powerful feeling walking out on the floor. And so the final event was 30 clean and jerks, 30 ring muscle ups, 30 snatches. So it's a great workout for the guy that's like right on my heels, but going out there and like in my head, there, there was no option. It was like, no, I'm winning this event. It doesn't matter how much better you are than me at this. The amount of passion that I have behind this, there's no skill level that can trump it. 
I am willing to go to lengths and depths that I know that you are not willing to touch. So I went onto the floor for that last event, knowing that I was going to win. Like there was no doubt in my mind. It was like, you can be better than me at this, but I will hurt and suffer tenfold of what you will. And I know that for a fact. And sure enough, like he was much better composed through the workout. He attacked it much more appropriately, but I went into it knowing like, no, I'm going to hit this thing aggressively. And, you know, it wasn't the best strategy by any means. It, it was a terrible strategy, but I wanted to rely on, on my heart rather than like my muscles as corny as that sounds, because I knew I can put myself into this deficit and still pull through because it's what I want. It's what I've decided is already happening. And when you're talking about like digging deep and because it, it's, it's amazing, right? I mean, you're, you're coming in from behind, you've got this deficit and you're saying you, you had certainty that you were going to win because you were willing to have that greater pain tolerance. Like, do you think that's something that can be developed? And, and if so, like, how do you develop that? I do think it can be developed. I think, I don't think it's something that people are just born with because I definitely didn't have it when I started in the space, but I think it just comes from partly from practice. What shows up under pressure is what you practice. I, I never try to rise to the occasion. I'm always training like I compete for the most part. You know, I'm preparing for that moment. And it was the same when I was in school, the way I'm studying, the way I'm practicing for exams. I'm not hoping that on the exam, I'm getting easy questions. No, I'm preparing for the worst case scenario. But yeah, you know, I think it's definitely a trained mindset. I think to a certain extent, there's people that are fighters. So I think you can come into it with a bit of an advantage, a bit of a competitive spirit, uh, doing the things that you have to do, no matter how miserable they are. But then at the same time, I know I didn't have that when I started CrossFit. I knew I had the competitive spirit, but not towards CrossFit. That was a, a trained mentality. And it just came through countless, countless days. And it came from the, the failures of, I remember what it felt like to be on the floor in front of thousands of people and to lose it all. In 2015, it came down to the last event and I had a catastrophic failure on the competition floor. Everyone saw it. Everyone was talking about it and it was terrible. And it was like, okay, I have a decision. Either I can make sure that that never happens again, or I can just kind of accept it as a fact of life of yeah, sometimes you fail. And I was like, no, I don't want that. I never want that again. That was a terrible feeling. And so, you know, keeping those failures fresh in your mind, like fresh enough that you never rest on your laurels, but at the same time, don't dwell on it. It's in the past use it as a lesson, but don't relive it. So yeah, I think, I think it is, you are able to learn it. I think it just takes practice. It takes talking to other people. Like how do you pull those experiences from other people to learn, to take the value of their lessons without you having to live it yourself? And then we finally get to 2020, very different year was COVID going on. But what I found very interesting though, was the, was the online stage, right? Before we got to the in-person, the online stage. And if you could speak to how that was different, because clearly it's different in person from a pacing standpoint, just from the environment and so on. But when it's online, that was a very different situation. Yeah. Doing online competitions is nothing new for us. You know, our season usually starts with an online competition. And for anyone that's not familiar with CrossFit, it starts with an online competition called the Open. I think at its max, there was about 400,000 people that participated. And then from there, 
in your region, 17 regions around the world, they take the top 40 from each region to go to regionals. And then from regionals, they take the top three and go to the CrossFit games. So it dwindles down. But in that first stage in your region to qualify for the next stage, you need to be in the top 40. So I'm very confident that I can do that with basically no training, no practice and qualify for that top 40. And so any online competition, it's been very low pressure. You know, I just have to submit a score that's halfway decent and I can move on to the next stage. And that's when I ramp up the training, the intensity. And then from there, once again, ramping it up even more to the world championships. But because of COVID, anyone that had already qualified for the game, so that final top 40 that's going to the world championships, we had to do an online competition and take it from the top 40 to the top five. And so now we're doing an online competition where you need to have a top, top level performance to become one of the top five in the world to go out to an in-person competition and compete for who's getting the top one. And so it was the first time I've ever competed in an online competition with that type of pressure on me of like, I need to have a top level performance without having my competitors in the lane next to me to give me instant feedback of, am I doing well or am I doing poorly? Because if you're in your heat with 10 other people on the floor and you're in first place, it's like, okay, I'm on a good pace. I'm winning. That's my instant feedback. If I'm middle of the pack, it's like, okay, I need to pick it up a little bit. I need to push a little, little harder. So this was an online competition where you're in a gym by yourself recording the workouts and you're like, I need to be the best in the world and I have no instant feedback. So I literally just need to put the pedal down and hang on as long as I can. And so it was the first time in my whole career that I'd ever been in this situation. And so I just went into it just knowing like, okay, I'm going to sell my soul on every one of these. I'm going to leave no doubt because there would be no bigger regret in my life right now if I've won four of these gold medals and then going into the fifth, like this is now my chance to break the record, get five consecutive. I'll never live it down if I slip up here. I didn't let, let pain factor into anything no matter how bad the workouts hurt i was like i just kept telling myself this moment will end you will be out of this pain shortly in a couple minutes so just deal with it and push through and so it was really funny really entertaining for me to see how i could perform in workouts without slowing down my pace to win by just enough because in our sport, you don't get extra points for winning by a bigger margin. You get your 100 points no matter where second place is. It was funny to see what my 100% effort was like without anyone dictating or pulling on the reins. And that, that just gave me a ton of confidence seeing like, okay, this workout, if I did it in person, I would have won, but I probably would have won by five or 10 seconds. I would have paced it to just win by enough. Whereas like there were workouts where I was like a minute ahead and I was like, oh, Okay, cool. Like what I'm doing in training is working. I mean, and that, and that still blows my mind. You were talking about some of the top athletes in the world and you're a minute ahead, right? So that, I mean, that is, that's incredible. But 2020, I mean, in a way, this is kind of like the mic drop games for you because you won with like the most incredible lead ever. I mean, it was almost double the runner up. Like you had double the points of the person in second place. Yeah, I was partway through the weekend I mean, like I, I failed at this goal, but my goal was to win 
by enough points that I could win first place and third place. I wanted to try to like have enough of a point gap that I had more points than third place. I, I missed it by a couple, but you know, I knew it was my last season. You know, I knew like, Hey, I'm walking away from competition and it's not like I'm going to dabble in lower level competition or anything like that. I was like, this is my last time ever stepping on this competition floor. This is my last time ever having the camera pointed at me. This is the last time ever having training sessions like this, dealing with these scenarios. And so I just wanted to, I wanted to show up, put my absolute best foot forward. This is my last chance to get these records of, you know, margin of victory, event wins in one competition, most consecutive gold medals, all, all these things. And so it's just like, okay, like, what do I want my story to be in 10 years and 20 years? Do I want it to be like, oh, I almost got those records? Or do I want to just like put my stamp on it and walk away? And that feeling of pride never leaves. You know, someone, it's only a matter of time before someone beats the records. It's only a matter of time before someone that's better than me comes along. If that's next year, if that's 20 years from now, it's only a matter of time. But that feeling of pride and success is there forever. No one can take that away from me. So this year in, in March, I know you announced the retirement, but I'm curious about this because uh, many could argue you were getting better every year. You were very much, I mean, for, just from everything, you weren't necessarily slowing down, still relatively young. Many would argue you have nothing left to prove, but at the same time, it wasn't one of those things where you were starting to slow down at all, or like, it's not to say like the, if you were to go another year that you wouldn't have finished first place as well. Yeah, I, I think that there's an argument to be had on either side. You know, I never want to be that person that after I step away saying like, oh, I could have won if I signed up. No, I'm, I don't want to take that away from whoever does compete and does win because there will be a new champion this year. And I don't want to take anything away from them. That happened to me when I first came in and it was the most heart-wrenching bullshit of like, yo, I just worked my ass off. You know, if you wanted, if you want to say that you could have won, then sign the fuck up. Otherwise, go away. Don't talk about it. Otherwise, you're just playing the what if game. We can play this game all day, every day of these million different scenarios. I'm here to talk about the facts of I signed up, I won. And so, you know, I try to be as supportive as I can for any name in the space. I'm not trying to give them bad information or lead them down the wrong path to try to hinder their performance. I want, I want them to perform well. Them winning takes nothing away from me. Well, so let me ask you, when you, after you announced this retirement, did you get any thank you cards? Because I imagine a lot, of, a lot of people that were previously like, vying for the podium, they, they exhaled this like relief, if you will, right? I got, I got some notes that affected me in ways that I didn't think they would. You know, I wasn't very close with many competitors. My whole time competing, every ounce of my energy was tailored towards what's going to help my performance. And, you know, being buddy-buddy with a bunch of competitors, I just found it easier to not do that because then there's the temptation of like sharing training with each other, sharing, you know, how we're doing, strengths and weaknesses, all that stuff. And I, just, I never wanted to go down that path. I wanted to play my cards close to my chest and be the best version of me that I could and not help my competitors. And I received some notes from guys that I'd seen every year at the games. You know, I was always friendly with them, but I didn't stay in contact with them a bunch. And I received some, some messages from them of like, thank you for your career. You made all of us better. 
you set this standard that we all had to rise to and we were all hitting limits that we didn't know that we had. And I remember when I announced my retirement, getting those notes and like within an hour or so after posting it and like it bringing me, I didn't know I had that effect on other people, especially on the competition floor. So, you know, they hit me in a way that I didn't know there was. So it was a great sense of pride of like, okay, that competitiveness was received in that way. You know, I got, I got a couple messages of like, you know, congrats, a couple of my friends that were kind of joking of like, cool, now we have a chance. But I mean, they, every, I don't know if they were joking. I I mean, I, I take it, I take it as a compliment, but like in the grand scheme, like they, everyone has a chance every year, you know, all it takes is one blunder. All it takes is one trip up. It doesn't matter how dominant you are in 14 events. If you have a zero point finish in the 15th, you know, it can derail you. But yeah, I, yeah, hearing that from the competitors was pretty powerful. And I'm, it's going to be funny this season going to competitions and not being on the competition floor is going to be different. I've never done it before. I've been to one or two competitions as a spectator in my whole career. So doing that this year, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I just get to be a regular fan in the stands cheering on some buddies. The CrossFit Games attract the most elite athletes on the planet. And Matt didn't just beat them. He dominated them. I asked him what he believes he does differently enabling him to stand head and shoulders above the competition. I don't think it can boil down to any one thing. I think there was a whole laundry list of things that I were that I was doing and no single one of them on their own would probably be a noticeable difference. But you know, you start accumulating 20, 30, 40 of these different habits over years and years, now they start to compound. Now they're now they're adding up. It all came from a coach that I had early on kind of told me like, your training is not special. Everyone is doing what you're doing in the gym. And I, at first I took that as, well, no, I thought what I was doing in the gym was special. And he's like, no, everyone's doing hard rowing intervals. Everyone's squatting heavy. Everyone's doing everything you're doing. You need to find the 1% gains elsewhere that they're not doing. And so trying to find those little areas of like, all right, best recovery tool that has ever existed is sleep. You know, it's so simple, but so many people take it for granted. They don't execute on it as well as they should. So I was like, okay, not only am I going to have, take my sleep very seriously, but how can I make it a little bit better than everyone else's? So, you know, setting up my room to be basically like an incubator of the perfect temperature, the perfect light, the perfect mattress, the perfect everything, the warmups, the cool downs in training, the time in between training, how I'm fueling myself in between training sessions, during training sessions, setting up my life so that I have zero stress. I don't think about anything business-wise. I don't think about anything outside of the gym. So, you know, whether that's surrounding myself with the right people that are willing to take those things off my plate or setting them up so they're a non-factor in my life. It's countless things like that where, yeah, if you do one of those things for one day, you're going to notice no difference. One of those things over an entire year, yeah, you might notice a little something, but it's not, you can't say it's definitive, but you're doing 30 or 40 of these things over multiple years. Well, that that's where you're setting records and even stuff as foolish as I use a box cutter every day to open packages. 
And then, all right, the three weeks before competition, I don't use a box cutter anymore because what if two weeks before the games, I cut my thumb? Everything we do with the barbell, we use a hook grip. So, you know, if I have a big slice of my thumb, I can't hook grip as comfortably or, you know, the blood's going to make the bar slippery. Things as foolish sounding as that, it's that one in a million chance, but I'm not willing to take that chance. The big thing was having a home life that was, you know, stress-free and ideal to cater to this crazy lifestyle, wake up, eat, sleep, train, and that's it. So I have a manager that deals all the business stuff. I have a fiance that deals with everything in my personal life so that I woke up with one goal and one goal only. And that was to be the best competitor there ever was. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that you just got obsessed, right? And, and I saw you post something recently on your, on your Instagrams because it wasn't just obsessed with improvement, but it's also attacking weaknesses and just turning them into strength. So I saw that it was like a throwback to like 2017. You, you bought a pig, not a literal pig, but essentially you, you started working on this thing. You waited until the gym was empty and then you would attack this piece of equipment and just work on it relentlessly and relentlessly. And, and it seems like just that you took that approach to so many different types of whether it was equipment or whether it's certain exercises or whether it was swimming or whatever it was to turn what could be seen as a weakness into a strength. Yeah. You know, uh, anyone listening, the pig, it's, uh, just a giant, I think it was a 660 pound rectangle. It looks like a refrigerator that we had to flip end over end. It's a way of doing a tire flip without having the inconsistency of it like rolling. And in 2015, I had a terrible go at it on the competition floor. So after the 15 season, I bought one and, you know, I was terrified to try it because, you know, this thing took me off, off the track for first place in that competition. And, you know, I bought one, I put it in the gym and it was one of those things where I've learned that when I'm taught something new or I'm not good at something, I literally tell the people around me, I'm like, all right, show me how to do it. They show me. And then I'm like, okay, go away go away for an hour, come back in an hour. Let me, you know, work on this thing with no, no eyes on me. I'm not worried about the judgment or the criticism or anything. And I'll just fail over and over and over in private until I get this thing. So I had this pig, it's sitting in the gym and I would go in on Sunday nights and at like the classic, like big dark gym. And I would turn on the lights in the back and I'm like, okay, I'm going to no one's here to judge me. No one's here to criticize me. No one's here to anything. And I'm just here alone, left to my own devices to figure this thing out. And I would just flip it and flip it and flip it. Like in the competition, I think, I think we had to do 12 total flips of this thing. And I would do 60 reps for time, 100 reps for time. How many reps can I get in 30 minutes? Like just relentlessly studying for this exam that I'm hoping is going to come up. And sure, it never came up. But I had that confidence of, okay, this thing derailed my career a couple of years ago. It was hopeless. I could not get it for the life of me. And I was able to turn that into a strength. I almost hoped that it would come up in the future because I'm like, dude, I worked so, so fucking hard on this thing. And now I think I'm one of the better people in the world at flipping this. And then sure enough, it never came up. So I had, I had studied for an exam that I wasn't getting tested on again. But it gave me that confidence moving forward of like, all right, just because you're bad at something one time doesn't mean you're bad at it forever. It just means you need to work on it. You know, I, I had that in multiple areas, um, you know, same as my uh, sprinting. 
2015, I got dead last in the sprint event. And then it showed up in 2016. And they the announcers like, all right, this is where Matt's not good at sprinting. So this is where he's going to have a poor event finish. And I remember thinking, I'm like, just because you were bad at it a year ago means that you're going to be bad at it now. I'm like, that's not me. I'm like, I worked my ass off. I saw what my what my flaws were and I worked my ass off on them. And it got me excited when I found something that I was bad at because it's like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this well in the space and I found something I'm bad at. Great. Now I can get better. Um, so anytime when I was training, I found something that I just got my ass kicked in. The instant reaction is like, oh my God, this is terrible. But then like five minutes, once, once the emotion leaves, it's like, oh, good. I found something I can work on and get better at. And I know, I know I'm able to, I just need to figure out how to, and then, and then I can put that attack plan together. Yeah. It, it, almost to a degree, it's like you were eliminating any uncertainty. Yeah, basically I'm going to miss that aspect of it, of that daily problem solving. Every day was very simple. What am I bad at? All right, let's put an attack plan together to figure out how to get better at that individual thing. So now I'm just in a world that I'm unfamiliar with. I know if I get pointed in the right direction, I'll work my ass off. I uh, Putting in long hours and being dedicated to something is nothing new to me. But now it's outside of the gym. It's just something I'm not as familiar with. So it's like, okay, I'm a beginner again. I just have to figure out where and what to point this energy towards and then just start going. You, you've got a, a personal mantra. It's HWPO, right? Like it's it put in every hashtag. Like if you could speak to the kind of the, the origin of that and then why that specifically is your mantra. Yeah, HWPO, you know, um, it kind of came up as my tagline for a long time. Hard work pays off. It actually started when I was in engineering school. And when I first started full-time with engineering, you know, I had a couple of classes that the grades were not good enough to move on on the first couple of exams, you know, failed the first couple of exams. And that's, that was the whole class grade was just the exams. I was like, no, this isn't an option. I decided I'm going to be an engineer. There's no other option. I'm not failing. And so I was like, all right, well, what do I need to do? And, and it came down to like, I don't know what I don't know. I don't even know what questions to ask the professor during his office hours. So it literally just started with me taking the textbook, going in the library, you know, whether it was like 6 p.m. until midnight or Saturday all day and just sitting down and reading the textbook, just super unenjoyable work. I don't even know what I'm looking for, but I'm going to read it the whole chapter. Anything I don't know, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to research each one of those things individually and then reread the chapter and just genuinely working hard. Like it's not enjoyable. It's not sexy. I'm not there with friends. I'm not getting rewarded for this work instantly. And I just kept telling myself like this will pay off. When the next exam comes around, I'm going to know this material like the back of my hand and it's going to pay off. And it did. You know, I went from, I think my first exam, I got like a 32 on it. And the next exam, I, I set the curve for the class. And it was such a rewarding feeling, not only going from failing, but like the top in the class of that exam. And the exam was easy. Like I was so prepared for it. And I just went like, holy shit, I'm going to apply this to anything I'm doing. Like this is the best feeling in the world. Being good at something, it's incredibly gratifying. And so I just 
when I got into CrossFit, it was like I looked at my competitions like exams. So any local competition, I would finish it and I would look back at my scores and it's like, all right, what was my poorest event finish? Okay, well, what about the event did I struggle with? Was it the movement? Was it the time domain? Was it the stimulus? Was it, you know, I didn't have the technique and breaking it down like, okay, what did I not know? What do I need to study for my next exam? And basically my whole crossword career just became one big problem solving session of like, okay, I'm not good at handstand pushups. Well, what was it? Was it, I don't have triceps strong enough or is it my shoulders? Is it the onset fatigue? Is it, you know, the lactic acid buildup? What aspect of it am I not good at? And working on that thing individually, breaking down every movement, every workout into a thousand pieces and getting better at each one of those. Um, Yeah. You know, it's just anything I'm doing. I'm just trying to like, okay, how do I get better? How do I get better? Do I need to talk someone that's already done it or like who's proficient in this one area or do I just need to sit down and read, you know, but just problem solving, like how do I get better at this and just doing that with every piece of it. And looking back at all this, like, has there been, like, if you had to describe what's driving you throughout all this, like to, to be the best, to ultimately, you know, have such excellence, like what's, what's the why behind it all? There's a million different reasons. A couple of them are reoccurring kind of dependent on the mood, you know, every, every day in the gym, I'd say like in the gym, there's probably dozens, dozens of different reasons why I trained the way I did in the gym, but there was two or three that were re like a reoccurring theme. I'd say the most common one was like, I want to have a cool fucking story when I'm old, whether it's, I'm talking to my kids about my career, I'm talking to my grandkids, whatever it is. I want to have a cool story. That was the biggest thing I admire from my dad when he would tell me stories about his figure skating career. They were just cool ass stories of him traveling the world, having these life experiences. You know, he and my mom met in figure skating, but just, I I wanted to have a cool story. I didn't want to have a story of like, oh, I competed at the CrossFit game once, once or twice. I did all right. Finished middle of the pack. No, like I won that. At the time it was the most event wins ever. It was the biggest margin of victory. I wanted to have a cool fucking story to tell people. And then the other theme was like, I want to have a life that I want to live, not a life that I have to live. And by that, you know, it's, I don't ever want to be constrained by like a financial situation. I'm like, oh, I have to live in this part of town because that's what I can afford. I have to drive this car because that's what I can afford. I wanted the freedom to live the life that I wanted. And so I don't even like when it comes to earning money, I don't even, I don't give a shit about the money. I care about the freedom that it provides. I don't have to work for a bad boss. I don't have to show up on Monday for hours. I don't have to show up on the weekend to work overtime. I wanted the freedom to do whatever I wanted. So, you know, if if I don't have a passion for a year, yeah, I can sit at home. I don't have to go flip burgers to you know pay the rent or whatever it is no i wanted that freedom for me when i was competing it was like no if i want that freedom later on in my life i need to do these shitty rowing intervals i need to make it really really hurt it's not enjoyable i don't like doing rowing intervals i don't like doing heavy sets of back squats there's nothing enjoyable about that but the sense of pride and the freedom is going to provide down the road that's what i'm after I remember some, someone asked me like, hey, do you, have an, do you have an addiction to suffering? And I was like, no, 
like not even in the slightest. I don't enjoy it at all. I have an addiction to what the product of suffering is of putting in those hours, doing the things that I have to do so that later on I can do the things that I want to do. It's just always working for that better tomorrow. I'm starting to touch on it now because, you know, you get those little like, all right, well, when is that tomorrow ever going to get here? Like you just get in this mentality of always working for a better tomorrow. Well, I want to make sure I start enjoying that better tomorrow at some point. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting into it now. I'm trying to learn how to enjoy some of the stuff I work so hard for, but it's, it's weird, man. It takes some adjusting. It's not just like a flip of the switch type thing where you just like, okay, I'm going to start, start doing this now. This takes some training to get used to this stuff. It's said that one of the most important decisions we make in our lives is our choice of partner, right? Choice of spouse. And I want to talk about Sammy because it's, it's clear she's played a very important role in your life. What's it been like from her perspective through this whole process with the, with the games and just like being there to support you while you're training and even competing and, and then just, you know, what role is she, you know, did she play at that point? So I didn't realize how much of a burden she had taken on. You know, when we first started dating, she worked a job that was like a, a great career job consistency, vacation days, health insurance, the whole nine. It was a great job. And we were dating long distance. And I was just kind of like, I want you to quit your job and move to be with me. And I remember being like, give me a couple of years. Help me be a part of this team for a couple of years. And I will, I'll set up our lives to have this freedom. And so she did it. God knows why. It was a huge risk on her part. And she just took everything off my plate from business negotiations to scheduling travel and obligations, making sure I needed to be where whenever I needed to be there. And even stuff as simple as cooking every meal. Like I haven't cooked a meal for myself in years, but literally doing everything in my life so that when I woke up, I worried about training. That was it. Everything else, like the laundry was done, the food was cooked, the house was stocked up. I didn't have to worry about coordinating with sponsors, nothing. She did everything. And I didn't realize how much she was doing until I retired. And then like there would be moments where like I would finish eating. Before it was like I would finish eating and leave my plate right where it was and then like go stretch or go lay on the floor and roll out, go do some body recovery, go do whatever. And then I would come back and the dish was just gone. You know, it was something that simple. And then as soon as I was retired, you know, I finished eating. It's this habit I've had for six years. And I would get up to walk away from the table and she's like, hey, 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 plate. And I was like, what do you mean? I thought you did that. And she was like, no, I did that when you were competing. I'm not doing that the rest of your life. And I was like, oh, got it. Okay. But then the, the biggest thing was the emotional support. It's incredibly stressful. It's incredibly stressful being a high-level competitor, trying to be the best in the world. Everyone's there to criticize. Everyone's there to point out your flaws because that's easy to do. It's easy to point out what someone's doing wrong. It's a lot tougher when you're unfamiliar with what's going on to point out what someone's doing right. And so, you know, when those insecurities started creeping up, I'm, a, I'm my own worst critic. So I'm beating myself up, especially getting close to a competition. I'm training in fear. So I'm thinking everyone else is going to show up and beat me. They're going to embarrass me in front of thousands and thousands of people. And then her, having her emotional support of knowing 
no matter what the results are, I'm coming home to the same, the same hug, the same kiss, the same life partner. You know, I always heard other competitors say like, oh, when I needed strength on the floor, I looked at my partner in the crowd and I wanted to make them proud. I did the exact opposite. I'm like, no, I don't need to make Sammy proud with my actions. She loves me for who I am. If I fail out on the competition floor, she's going to be there to prop me back up. If I do well out on the competition floor, we're going to celebrate together. It was this comfort blanket of knowing that no matter what the results are, she's going to be there to love me. And so it took a ton of pressure off knowing that nothing at home was contingent on my performance. And do you, looking back, do you believe, and if she's in the room, this will be an interesting answer, but do you believe you could have been as successful had you not had her by your side? Not a chance. Not a fucking chance. You know, I competed, believe it or not, I did date before Sammy. She's smiling over there right now. And, you know, having a partner that wasn't fully on board, I had a partner that didn't want me to compete at all. I had a partner that kind of let me compete and didn't really care one way or the other. But having having a team there to support you, you know, maybe for one training session, it doesn't make a difference. Maybe over one week, you'll see a little bit better results. But when you do it for years on end, like, holy shit, not only the emotionally, but then, you know, just physically having someone helping you all the time, you can't compare it. It's unbelievable. So, you know, I had Sammy on the personal side and she actually did a lot of my, my business stuff as well. She worked as an athlete manager for years, but then having O'Keefe, my manager on the business side, it's an unbelievable advantage. You know, just having someone do all the stuff that is distracting to your main goal. I always think, forget what the books, essentialism maybe, but just that circle with like 21 inch arrows pointed off it or one circle with one 20 inch arrow. And that, that's how I looked at my life. I'm like, I give nothing in my life an ounce of thought unless it's going to help my performance and win. And so, you know, now it's adjusting. Everything's not pointed in that one direction. I'm having to think for other people other than myself. You know, I'm not, I can't be selfish anymore. So it's just adjusting. It's good. But, you know, fuck, I'm grateful I had her. And since, I mean, you've been building an incredible brand in the business world. I mean, you've got some phenomenal partnerships, whether it's like Nike or Rogue or Beam, basically whatever you partner with, I end up buying to some degree. Um, <laughs> but how do you decide, you know, who to partner with? So very, very early on in my career, like my first year competing, if they had a paycheck for me, I would hold it up. I would say I used it. And, you know, that, that was in the days where I'm like a broke college student. I'm like, you're going to pay me to do this? Yeah, hell yeah, I'm in. And then I realized it caused anxiety when someone would buy a product because I put my stamp of approval on it and promoted it. And then they're like, yo, this thing sucks. I had anxiety over that happening because I know I'm not being honest. I know I'm leading someone down a, a false path. So luckily I was put into a situation, like I put myself in this situation of like, I can be selective on who I work with. And, and I remember reading a book and it was like, the whole thing was how to be a better salesman or something. And I had just had life lessons. And one of the main things was like, don't sell anything you wouldn't buy yourself. And so, you know, I, I took that to heart and it was like, nope, I, I've had opportunities great opportunities to sell or to promote a product that I didn't believe in. And I, 
as painful as it was to say no to it, I did because I was like, no, I, my biggest concern now is being happy in life and being able to sleep well at night. And so now with some of the stuff that some of the companies I work with, if someone doesn't enjoy it the way I do, well, it doesn't keep me up at night because I'm like, okay, you know, it's just not your cup of tea, but I love it. I still stand by it. I'm willing to put my name on it. And so, you know, companies like Nike, Rogue, Beam, all, all these things, I'm like, they're fucking amazing. And so it's it's a very easy partnership. And then the other thing too was not only do they have to have a great product, but then when I meet the owners, it's like, okay, I want to meet the people that I'm going to be working with. And I want to make sure that it's going to add to my life in a positive way. I want my interactions to be enjoyable because most of these sponsors, I'm doing appearances for them. I'm working with them closely. So I want to make sure that my time is spent doing what I want to do. I'm in that situation now where I want to add value to my day. And so not only does the product need to be something that I truly, truly believe in, but then also I need to make sure that I click with the ownership or the people that I'm going to be working with. And so, you know, there's been some opportunities that I thought would be really cool and like, you know, something like a great product, but then the ownership I didn't get along with, or the owners were awesome, great friends, but the product was kind of like, it's kind of gimmicky or whatever it is. And it's like, for my own longevity, I have to say no to it. But then also now with not competing, it's like, okay, now I can start doing some of these things for myself. So, you know, something like supplement brand, you know, I've gone without a supplement brand for probably about two years now. You know, it's a very easy box to fill in terms of sponsorship, but I just couldn't find a company that I clicked with. And so I was like, okay, well, now that I have the time and the energy to dedicate towards this, I'm going to start my own supplement brand. And so, you know, I found some partners in the space that I enjoy working with and we started our own. It's just a whole different world of doing something for yourself rather than doing it for helping someone else grow their brand. But when I was competing, that's what I had available. I didn't have time to dedicate to running a business or, you know, starting something up like this. I didn't have the energy to dedicate to something new and learning a new process. But now that's all I got. Now all I have is time and trying to find those new projects to work on. So something like that, you know, supplements. I didn't need the paycheck. I didn't want to deal with companies that I didn't like or products that I didn't believe in. So I just went without it for a year and a half, two years. And as soon as I have the time to dedicate to it, I'm like, all right, let's start our own brand. Found some people I wanted to work with and, you know, hit the ground running. And whatever you can share, because you're talking about the supplement brand with Podium, I know it's at least at the time of this podcast, still a couple months out from from the launch. But if you could speak to like what people have to look forward to, I saw you're bringing on board some of your uh, some other CrossFit athletes. I saw Justin Medeiros getting involved as well. Like what will be different and unique about the, the supplement brand? Yeah, you know, I think I think the big thing is, you know, it's started by people in the space. So Marston Sawyer and Heber Cannon, also known as the Buttery Bros, they're like the OGs of the OGs. Um, I don't think they're as familiar, like people don't know them as being around for a long time because they were always behind the camera. They never put themselves in front, but they've been in the CrossFit space. They worked for CrossFit HQ. They made all the media that's come out, all the movies around the CrossFit space. I've obviously been in the space for just shy of a decade now. You know, we just wanted to have a have a company that was built by people within. 
And I think we have some good input on what supplements are actually useful, how to produce them and make them with ingredients that are specific to the space and what we actually want. We were joking before we started recording of like, you know, I, I took beta alanine for years and I feel like it's a relatively unheard of thing for CrossFitters. It's always, you know, everyone's taking their creatine, the protein, the pre-workout. And I was like, I found beta alanine. I loved it. So it's like, at some point we want to make a beta alanine because I think it's a super, super useful product for CrossFitters, you know, in terms of like dilating blood vessels and, you know, helping block lactic acid production. I mean, that's the name of the game in our sports. Who can flush out the lactic acid long enough? Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're just trying to make a, a company that was built inside the CrossFit space um, with stuff that we actually think is useful for CrossFitters. The partnerships we're pulling, it's funny being on the other side. I'm used to being the athlete that's getting picked up and not the one doing the scouting, but it's been so much fun. You know, I've had enough time in the space that I, I have things I'm looking for in an athlete that probably aren't necessarily the flashy things or the things that most people are looking for. I'm looking for like, you know, what's the foundation of this athlete? What's their work ethic like? How are they, what certain personality traits? And so Justin Medeiros, like as soon as the opportunity came up, I was like, well, as soon as I got asked, like, hey, who do you want to sign? I'm like, him. There's a couple others that I have my eye on, a couple conversations I'm looking to have. But, you know, I'm just excited to be on this side of the fence now and going immediately from the athlete to the sponsor. It's a fun change of pace. And I mean, you've built so much like just credibility and trust. When you mentioned something like beta alanine, you know, we were talking about this earlier, like it sells out all over the internet, right? If you were to say I, I eat cheeseburgers, right? Like cheeseburgers would probably start selling out. I guess the, the benefit now is like, you're, you're, you're not competing, but are you finding this kind of like this foray into the business world? Is this, is this starting to scratch that competitive itch? I don't know. I don't know if it's like the competitive itch. Um, Cause I don't know how, how you really compete. Like, unless like, multiple companies were all willing to open up our books and show each other. And then there could be some form of competition, but I mean, it's definitely an outlet that I get to feel like I'm applying myself to, and I have the gratification of a day's, a hard day's work. You know, it's definitely that outlet of like, I, I know I don't do well with free time. I'm good for like one day off maybe, but if I have two days off in a row, I hate it. So, you know, just finding that thing that I can every day work my ass off towards something and have that gratification going to bed at night. I always talk about like watching Netflix. For me, it's like, if I'm just lazy all day, after an episode or two of Netflix, I'm like, all right, I'm pretty over this. I'm just wasting my life. You know, I'm not doing anything. But if you work like a 12, 14 hour day of busting your hump, there's no better feeling than kicking off your shoes, getting on the couch and just like, oh, all right, I'm going to watch watch some TV before I go to bed, you know? And so that that's always what I'm striving for. I'm trying to find something I can work hard towards that I enjoy so that I get that daily gratification of busting my, bust my ass. I just like working hard. So it's just that constant, constant battle of trying to find something that I enjoy working hard towards. So yeah, you know, I got a couple things, a couple things going on, keeping busy. Um, I'm sure some of them will be a huge success. Some of them will be a flop and you know, I'll learn to love some, I'll learn to hate some, but I'm in that stage right now where I'm just learning. And on the personal side, how's the, uh, how's the new home gym coming? Because I know some people could have, I'm sure Rogue could have come in and built that whole thing for you, but you're, you're in the tractor, you're laying all that stuff out. Like it's, you've taken, you've taken on this project. Yeah. The home gym ended up being 
a little more of a project that I was anticipating. We got our shipment. I think we've had 14 pallets of stuff show up total. And I know there's one more that's showing up today. But yeah, we unpacked all the pallets and then it's like nothing's labeled, nothing's. And it's just like this giant puzzle putting together. But, you know, once again, you know, there's something gratifying about working with your hands and you can see the end product instantly. It's not one of these things of like, oh, I hope I'm doing the right thing and I'll see the results in six months or in a year. It's like you work for 10 hours, you see the 10 hours worth of labor. So I love working with my hands. I love that physical labor work, you know, being outside, just getting sweaty and hanging out, hanging out with your buddies and you're all just busting ass. Yeah. It's been really gratifying and knowing that we're going to get to use this. So, you know, last night was super gratifying. It was the first time that, you know, the gym's been functional for a day or two. There's still some stuff that we need to finish, but we're able to work out in it. And it was Sammy and myself, and like my best friend and his wife all in there working out together. And it was one of those moments where you kind of step back and you're like, oh, this is this is that situation that I I dreamed of for the last five years of this is what I'm working towards and it's here. You know, something as silly as that. Like Yeah. It's like the uh the barbecue at the end of Fast and Furious, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's like this is what we worked for. You know, th- there's been a couple situations like that of like even when I was moving in and, uh, you know, we're doing some yard work around and I'm in the skid steer, my buddy's in, in the excavator and we're both just running these, these machines. And I'm like, this is exactly what I was hoping my post-competition life would be like. But yeah, you know, I just want, I wanted to create an environment here that was just fun, set it up so that we have a home office, we can work hard we have the perfect environment to work hard in but then we also have you know a home gym that can accommodate a ton of people and just all hang out and like work hard but better ourselves in the same area but then also stuff like a dirt bike track and dirt bikes for all all of us to go rip around on uh, a shooting range on the property so if we want to go plinking we can just basically setting it up so that I don't have to leave my property ever. You know, anything and everything I ever wanted is right here. And this is, it's what I worked hard for, for all these years. And it's finally starting to materialize and it's super gratifying. And Matt, as we come to a close, this being the Game Changing Attorney podcast, what does being a game changer mean to you? You know, I, I think the biggest appeal to me is that sense of pride, you know, showing up, and doing things in a different way or doing them to a level that no one's ever seen before, it makes you proud of yourself. And I think that's the most important thing. That's what I'm always striving for is to make myself proud. I know the people around me that I choose to have in my life, they love me no matter what. So it's just constantly trying to make myself proud and trying to find every little nook and cranny where I can find like, you know, a 1% gain here, a 1% gain there. You accumulate enough of those things up and yeah, you're going to change the game. I want to give a huge thank you to Matt Frazier for taking the time to speak with us today. You know, what particularly resonated with me was when Matt said that you need to remove what if from your vocabulary and that it is essential to outwork your competition. Even the most marginal improvements are the difference between winning and losing when you're competing at the highest level. 
You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney Podcast with me, Michael Mogul. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could share the podcast with at least one other ambitious law firm owner who you believe would benefit. And you know what? Maybe more than one. For more information on our interview with Matt Frazier, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit GameChangingAttorney.com. And join us next time when we'll be looking back at some of the most impactful conversation and moments from the past few months of the Game Changing Attorney podcast. Is this a great time to be in the legal profession or a bad time to be in the legal profession? It doesn't fucking matter. You're in the legal profession, right? Like unless you're you're leaving, it doesn't really matter. Like you're in it. And so what are you going to do with it? That's the fundamental question. That's next time on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Mm-hmm.